Peter, welcome on, brother. Thank you. I'm honored. There's a beer for you. Actually, I got you two in case. Uh, oh, okay. In case you're thirsty. You just want the whiskey then? Yep. Yep. I'm doing a glass of whiskey. Oh. Whew. Thanks for coming on, man. How you doing? Dude, thanks so much for having me. I'm good, man. Yeah. Really good. You in town just for the uh, for the weekend? Yeah, just for the weekend. Uh, Memorial Day. There you go. Where, where are you living at right now? Uh, so I live up in a little place called Cornville, and it's right by Sedona. Okay. And so my dad bought a piece of property there, and we renovated the house, and it's basically a big Airbnb. I mean, it's a huge house, three stories, and um, just working on the property. It has some vines on it that I've been taking care of or trying to take care of. And uh, be basically kind of there. the groundskeeper there. Nice. Sort of, you know, but it's fun doing construction and, yeah. you know, learning how to pour concrete and weld. It's got to so be beautiful like, if it's uh, near Sedona. Yeah, it's you right You see the Red that. Rock? Oh, yeah. Um, well, it's near Sedona, so it's like 20-minute drive to Sedona. Okay, so, yeah, nice. I've been to the Red Rock so many times. It's, you know, it's so beautiful up there. Right. It's, it's crazy unique. It's like there's not red rocks like that anywhere there's a whole uh like conspiracy theory about like the red rock and sedona about about it being like a vortex yeah you heard about that yeah i have there's it's like a vortex of energy and so that's why a lot of like new agey hippie people go there Mm -hmm. and there's a lot of rehab places there there's um what do they say? They say it's like one of the uh, like openings uh, to the universe. Like one of the there's only a few like yeah. passageways um, from the earth to like the universe. They say it's one of like a like a gateway. So apparently there's a lot of like alien activity and yeah, stuff like I've that. Heard that. I've heard that. See any like, aliens up there? No, actually I haven't. <laughs> I've seen a lot of uh, like coyotes and stuff yeah. like that. Unless they're shapeshifters, I don't know. <laughs> but um, yeah, I've heard there's like the the uh, uh what's it called magnitude up there or like the um, well like you said the like the grid of energy yeah there's something there and there's something uh, weird dude did you hear so this is a crazy story in in uh, 2012 some guy you remember in 2012 the world was supposed to end and the guy talked about like jumping off jumping the rock or the mountain the or whatever yeah this guy, i think you're the one that told me about the t- tell me like the the story behind that again dude this is crazy so in 2012 people thought that you know the earth was going to end because it was of, what december 21st right yeah because the mayan calendar stopped there so people thought that they you know they knew that the earth was going to end there and so some guy was like went online and was telling people that he's gonna jump off one of the cliffs in Sedona at some certain time. I guess midnight. I'm not sure. And uh, he's gonna jump off the cliff, and then the ground was gonna open, and he was gonna go through the vortex and then save the world. And so me and my friend Jared, we were actually kind of kidding about this, but we we're like, dude, we like we should go and see this. You know, <laughs> like if this guy's gonna do this, like. Not that like I want to go watch, but I yeah I kind of want to go see if it was and gonna so, happen. And so we were joking around like maybe we should go sell T-shirts and stuff like that. But then but uh, you know I was gonna say like look if I if this guy's actually gonna do this I'm gonna yell to him like don't do this like do not do this. Did you go? Uh, no, because of course a week before he he was just like no I'm not gonna do this. Uh, Didn't like, feel like saving the world anymore. Yeah, or he was like the you know, the signal I got said not to do it or, you know, it's, right, it's all right. those things. Like when people say, 
the end of the world is going to happen at this time. And then a week, and then it doesn't. And then they're like, oh, but uh, actually uh-huh. God now told me that it's going to happen in 20 years. Yeah, that's kind of like uh, I'm, I'm, I'm real big into AMC stock. And some analysts oh, said nice. that if the AMC stock went over $30, he'd eat shit, literal shit. And he's been missing. AMC stock just hit over $30. Yeah. And it went up again, right? Yeah. Yeah. GameStop and stuff. I remember all yep. that. I'm a, I'm a diehard AMC guy. Heck Love yeah. it. Love AMC. Um, yeah, man. So just been hanging out. You're here for Memorial Day. Yeah. Um, heard you did uh, you know, a little little deal on your movie. So congratulations yeah. on that. Thank you. Appreciate that's, it. Uh, that's something to really admire because it's something that I would love to get into one day, like yeah. you know, making movies. So uh, wanted to like learn a little bit about that process because there, there's a lot that goes into it that I feel like people like don't realize. Oh yeah. So kind of, uh, well first, how about you tell me a little bit about your movie before we really get into the process? It's about an unlikely friendship that forms between a wealthy depressed guy who one day decides to kill himself in his bathroom using a pistol and, but he's, he's interrupted by his alcoholic groundskeeper and so the story sort of follows uh, their friendship and how they both realize that they, you know, they can't hide from their problems. They got to face them head on. So it's part stoner comedy, part bromance. Uh, if people like films like Superbad or I Love You, Man, then they'll like this film. And it's called yeah. The Grounds. It's called The Grounds, yeah. Before we get into it too much, where can people find it? Because it's out now. Yeah, it's out now. People can find it on YouTube. It's for purchase or rental, Google Play, Apple TV. Um, Amazon Prime. Amazon Prime, saying. the other. And then there's some other ones like Fandango, I believe. But you can just Google The Grounds and yeah. So were you the main writer? Did you write the script or? Uh, so I was a co-writer. Actually, my friend... Greg Thirdkill, who you know. Yes, Kelly's my wife's cousin. cousin yeah, yep, exactly. He came up with the story. He wrote the first script, and then he brought it to me, and I brought it to my friend Nick Scamparell, who also co-wrote it. Okay. So it was I, I three of us. Greg's a, a great guy. Yeah, Greg's awesome, and he yeah he's the one who came up with the concept of the film. Okay. And it's it all started when we all used to go to Nick Scamparell's grandpa's house. And uh, that's actually the house that we used to film at, that we filmed the movie at. It's this big, nice house in Pasadena on the hills. And so um, it all started when we were vacationing there and me and Greg were chilling in the jacuzzi and we were talking about writing and I was going to school for screenwriting then and he was writing on his own. And uh, I was talking to him about, you know, making low budget films. I just did my first uh, short film. And I was telling him, like, the way to save money on a film is to not have a lot of locations. Yeah, location, I mean. Yeah. They're super expensive. Super expensive. I mean, everything in a movie is super expensive. But if you can have a movie that's in, like, one location, I know it would be hard, like, creative, you know, creatively. That's limiting. But you can save a lot of money like that. And so that's kind of what we did. Um, you know, during that conversation with Greg, I pointed out, like, you know, if someone shot a movie at this mansion, then like this would be great because it's one location, but there's tons of little sub locations all over it, you know. And did he already have the script written or did he write the script based off of the location itself? Uh, yeah. So after that conversation, he uh, three weeks, three weeks later, he sent me an email and he was like, hey, I, I wrote a script. And I was like, what are you talking about? He's like, I wrote a script for the 
for the house. I was like, wow. You know, so we just had that one little line. And then so he went back home and wrote the first draft of that script really fast and then sent it to me. And I was just like, dang, that's awesome. So once you have a script for a movie, like what's the next step? So at that point, we had like a uh, that script. We needed to rewrite it like a hundred different times. Really? The thing about writing a movie script is it takes a long time. It took us over a year. You know, every time I write a script, it usually takes me about a year to do it. Wow. Just because it's really hard to do. And um, but once we have the script finalized, then the first thing, you know, to do first is to get a lawyer. <laughs> and uh, like and then you copyright start copyright lawyer to like. Yeah, just, uh, you know, like an entertainment lawyer, you know how everyone kind of has one. Uh-huh. Uh, and then, or that's what we did first. And then the lawyer was like, okay, well now you need to get your, uh, you know, get your production crew together. So then we bought, so then we hired a line producer and uh, his name's Brian Tanky. He lives out in LA and he's great, great producer. He ended up being a producer and a line producer and the line producer. I'm going to stop. Oh, yeah, stop. What's the difference between a producer and a line producer? Yeah. The line producer hires all the crew. And they do the scheduling out and stuff like that. And then a producer is above them. And they just, um, the producer is kind of a general term, but they're usually the ones who are calling all the big shots at the top. Okay. You know, so a line producer is hired and he, he hires all the crew and does a lot of the, the pre-production paperwork, you know, like the schedule. You got to break down the script, uh, see how many days you got to, you know, film it at. And how many locations you have, how many props you have, you know, what you need for a wardrobe. So you got to break all that down and then, you know, get your team together. You know, so you got to hire a cinematographer. You know, I mean, you got to get a director, but that's what I did. So you directed the movie? Yeah, I directed the movie. And then it was also a co-producer on it, too. And so we got a cinematographer. His name's Vincent Pasco. He's an amazing cinematographer. Yeah, the... So... Just for context, I saw the movie. Yeah. I went to your release, which was amazing. Right. Uh, it was what movie theater it was on Mill Avenue at the Valley Art, I think. Okay. Valley Art on Mill. So Avenue. Yeah. yeah, I agreed. the The picture was incredible. Everything right. about the movie is great. It was yeah. it was amazing. It. it gets it gets ten out of ten review for me. But Thank yeah, you. I was Thank super you. impressed with uh, yeah. with his work. Sweet man, our crew was amazing. Everything, like we had no drama on our on our crew because i've been on other sets where people end up yelling at each other and oh it's high intensity environment oh yeah exactly because you got a lot of money on the line a lot of stress and a lot of egos and uh-huh. there's so many crew like you know because time is money you're spending all this money so people are rushing to do everything yeah. you gotta get the lights in order you gotta get the actors there's a i mean i do it you know, even filming videos that i've done on a way smaller scale like yeah. not even close to a movie it's yeah. You gotta get the lights. You gotta get the the sound. Yeah, you sound gotta is huge. N- have everyone know what they're saying. Everyone, you know, someone's always late. That always holds up the yeah. product. Like there's a million things that go into it, just on a smaller scale. So I can't even comprehend what it's like for a for a movie. Yeah, got to be stressful. Yeah, super stressful. And uh, and like sure, I said, it's a hell of a lot of fun though. Oh, it's it's <laughs> man, it's like a high. It's it's insane. Uh, you know, you're going throughout the day and just like getting shots done. And, uh, you know, as a director, I'm in charge of 
a lot of things, uh, pretty much everything, but I have, uh, you know, I delegate a lot of stuff out to other people. It's like a, it's like a military hierarchy. You know, I have the director and then there's the assistant director, um, which Brian Tanky, who is our producer and line producer was also our assistant director, but he did an amazing job. And so the assistant director is the one who's yelling at everyone like, hey, you do that. You do that. You, you just tell them who to yell at. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Which is kind of cool because with my personality, I'm not really like I was kind of afraid. I'm like, am I going to have to be the one that's like, you know, controlling all right. these people? But it's his job, which is kind of cool. And then he talks to me. And then I mostly just talk to the actors, but I'm also, as a director, you got to talk to the cinematographer and make sure all the shots are lined up the uh -huh. way you want it. And because uh, ultimately when it's, you know, when you're a director and you're on the set, it's, it's your vision. So you're the boss. And so, which means you got to know everything. You got to, my pre-production, I had a huge binder like this thick full of overhead shots of where we were going to put all the lights and then full of shot lists, you know, of like, okay, mm -hmm. we're going to have a close up, then, then a mid shot, you know, all the way to what, uh, what size film lens we're going to use. And uh, so I had all of that pre-planned in my head. Now, when we were on the day, uh, you know, I let the cinematographer do a lot of what he wanted to do also so it was it was a it's a collaborative yeah thing, just trusting you know? you know who you're working with and they, exactly because the cinema like the cinematographer is going to know more yeah. than than you know about how to yeah. work a camera so just trusting them is yeah good. exactly it's, it's huge but as a director you you know you're in you're in charge of the vision so you you also can't just be like yeah do whatever you want and, yeah exactly and, you know so it's a big you know film is making a film is all about collaboration which is amazing and then but it also can get pretty hectic, you know, because you got a lot of egos that can, you know, get involved and stuff like that. Because everyone's human. So right, right. everyone's going to have a bad day or something like that or think like, oh, man, why, why, why did he say that to me? You know, is he, you know, <laughs> does he not like me? Or, you know, there's like some drama and stuff like right. that. But, um, so yeah, it's crazy. I mean, so, so I love it. I, as soon as, I directed my first short film, actually the only short film I did. Uh, I was like, yeah, I want to be a director. For That's sure. awesome. So once you have, have your line producer mm -hmm. and you have everything planned out, it, like at what point do you cast for the roles in the movie? And how do you do that? Because I like for me, I, I do prank videos. Obviously, I go out and talk to people like I find random people to be in my right. videos. I've never had to go about like the whole casting process. Yeah. And that's always seemed really interesting to me. Yeah. So during pre-production, you, um, you hire a casting director and then they have their own building where they are the ones who, um, you know, put out, I guess on the internet or make phone calls of like, Hey, we're looking for a 35 year old actor for our main movie. And so, and they, they, they know all the agents in town. So um, as the director and producers, we tell them like, all right, here's all our main characters, you know, all our characters, but you start with the main characters and say, hey, maybe we'd like to have Brad Pitt do this, you know, could you, you know, ask their agent? And of course, mm -hmm. you know, with a small little movie like ours, you know, that didn't happen, but. Um, <laughs> You're telling me Brad Pitt wasn't in your movie? <laughs> no. Nah. You kidding me? No, not, 
No, unfortunately not. <laughs> no. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so they take care of that. But casting is that was uh, that was a really stressful time for me. I think it was just because were you there for the casting? Yeah, so okay. you're there and um, got to be long days. Long days, and you're reading lines with actors, and I'm not necessarily I'm not an actor at all, so I'm just trying to like see the spark in them of like okay and usually you know once they come in that you know you're like oh he did a he or she did an amazing performance yeah put them down you know and so that was awesome and then that took like that took us like about a month and really I thought that just was casting of, yeah just casting Jeez. and then on my next film i would even want to go you know, longer than that. Like, and is that is five day weeks, like nine to five or like yeah, what is five day weeks, eight hours a day. Wow. You know, just in a little room, you know, do And we did all the characters ourselves. And so uh, for it, casting, was it, was, it was fun as well. You know, so obviously you're not paying people to, to do their performance, right? They come in, they do it, they leave, they don't get paid for it. Right. Yeah. But you're paying the casting director. So it, it's all time and money. Yeah, that's, exactly. That's crazy. A month just to do that. And yeah. and uh, what actors did you end up going with? Well, I actually knew one of them prior to uh, to seeing the movie. The kid that was in the Patriot. Yeah, that's right. So the main actor. Um, well, there's two main actors actually. There's uh, Trevor Morgan. He played Calvin. The yeah, I, I really like him. Yeah, he was in the Patriot as uh, one of the sons. The oh aim, yeah, aim, aim small, small, miss small. small. Yeah, of course. And we actually had that in our movie. Yeah, he's during playing, a game of beer pong. Yeah, he's that playing was so beer good. Pong and he says that line. You know, that's a little Easter egg for you know Patriot fans. I'm a diehard Patriot fan. And so. he was also in Jurassic Park three. The the guy's son who got kidnapped by the pterodactyl, I guess, and uh, and then our other main characters are. Uh, Michael Welch, he played Jack, who's the owner of the house, and he was in Twilight. He's a pretty big character in that, so he has a pretty big fan base like that uh, because of that. And um, and then Ashley Hinshaw, she played Ashley, and then she did an amazing job. She, she's a really good actor, and she's from Chronicle. Have you ever seen Chronicle? Mm. Oh, it's a really good film. You'd like it. It was in 2012, and it's about... Uh, I think three kids who like find a meteorite in the ground and then they get superpowers. Oh, really? It's really cool. It's kind of a dark. It's a dark movie, but you should okay. you should see it. So she's one of the main characters in in that film. Allison Page was our other our final uh, main actor actress, and she was amazing also. What was her role? I remember the three you just said. Uh, yeah, she was the little sister, Connie. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. Nice, man. So how long did you actually take to, to shoot your movie? Uh, we did, I'm trying to remember, 18 days. Really? That's it? 18 days. Yeah, that was it. And on Seeing average, the movie, I would have guessed that you guys spent at least at least two months on it. Oh, I wish we had two months. Actually, that might have been a little too much time for this. but yeah, That's I, crazy. I didn't know that's we were, how long it, you took. Just 18 days. Unbelievable. Yeah, exactly. If, at first, we were going to do only 15, but then I was like, Ooh, we really need an extra three days because we were doing with 18 days, we were doing about five and a half pages a day, you know, which which is a lot, especially for me being a first time director, even though I've heard other independent movies, they'll go like nine pages a day. And it's like, dude, that is way too much. Uh, I mean, we were at 
you know, one location essentially, but we still had to move our lights around to like, you know, the living room, the pool house, uh, we shot on top of the mountain, you know? So right. even though we were in one vicinity, um, still, a lot we of still work. had to work. And, uh, we also shot at a golf course too, for one day uh-huh. and then a school for half a day. So those are the only two other, uh, locations, which were only about a mile away from the house. So nice. we try to keep it limited. Okay. So, so how do you go about like paying the actors, like going into it, they say, all right, we're going to shoot this movie. We have 18 days. Like what happens if you don't finish the movie? Like obviously you have to make it work to, to shoot longer, but right. do you have to pay the actors more. Like how does that work? Yeah. You, you, um, so we did everything to SAG, uh, which is the screen actors guild. We shot in Pasadena, LA, which is a, a union town. So we did everything through the unions, everything legit. <clears throat> And uh, since they're in the union, they have their own um, contracts and lawyers. So, uh, so yeah, if you went over days and you needed them, then uh, you would have to pay them at least. But they're for also those days, in the 100%. contract. I would imagine they're required. Like, do you have it to where okay, we're shooting for eighteen days, but if we need more days, you have to have like at least three to four or however many days available yeah. afterwards. On, How on does that big movies? They do that, but we're a tiny little movie. So we didn't do that. So you, you just, yeah. you knew what you had to do. Yeah. We had a, it was do or die. And did everyone stay at the house? Uh, no, not everyone, but, uh, Trevor Morgan stayed and, uh, which was fun. And, uh, but everyone, since we were in LA, we got everyone local in LA and uh, okay, so nice. they, they would go home and then drive out to Pasadena. You know, some people had far drives, you know, because L.A. is so big. And the traffic, and so of course. A few people stayed over, like I stayed over, and, uh, you know, a lot of the producers and stuff stayed over. But I bet that was fun, though, just, you know, yeah. each day yeah, after work, sometimes having a after beer. The, uh, sometimes there were some after parties. I got a little yeah. out of hand. <laughs> uh, I was not a part of them because I had to go to bed. But sure, there was... <laughs> There are some days. Yep. So, I mean, it's 2021. You filmed the movie, you said, in 2013, right? Yeah. It's been, it's been eight years. So the movie, is, you guys just recently signed a deal, right? About right. having a co- Congratulations, yeah, by the way. You. Cheers to that. Hey, appreciate Hard work it. pays off. What, what is the process? So, you know, the past eight years, what, what has that looked like? We submitted it to a lot of film festivals, mm-hmm. but unfortunately we didn't get the results we had at all. And so the, so then um, the main producer and the editor went back and started re-editing the film. And uh, you'd be surprised how a lot of movies get the post-production phase can, can take years, you know, because uh, the film isn't quite what they wanted. And since they're not rushed to like, get it to another film festival they'll you know be like all right i want it you know this way and so a lot of experimentation and so yeah you'd be surprised a lot of films take a long time to get you know out of post-production but now that it's out and uh you know i i think it's a better cut than what we had in 2013 a better edit so i'm i'm definitely happy with it you know awesome what which uh film festivals did you take it to Let's see. Uh, we wanted to get into South by Southwest. Uh, that's in Texas. Austin, right? Austin, yeah. And uh, they called us up and they said that we really liked your movie, but we went with another movie, but you were right at the cutoff, you know. So they they Dang. called us back and we were at least like, you know, keep go- you know keep going. Keep like, we liked your movie, and then we you know just a whole bunch of 
film festivals all over the um, United States. And none did you of do them, uh, Sundance? Yeah, we tried to get in, but I mean, it's that's it's that's so a hard, hard. one. You got to get a a list celebrity to be really to like Sundance. Wow. They say it's an independent, uh, you know. Film festival. It probably used to be, but yeah, it got it used bigger to be and back bigger in the seventies or eighties. But now the studios, you know, the studios they all have their own little uh, studios that are independent, even though they're getting their money from the big, mm-hmm. you know, the big studios. Makes sense. So, but we were completely independent. So, um, which is cool. Yeah, man. Congratulations on on finishing that. That's a, that's a long journey. It's a long yeah, journey. It was. What's next for you? It was worth it. I'm writing a script right now that's actually about YouTubers. Really? <laughs> yeah, it's about a uh, up and rising YouTube pranker who uh, becomes the main suspect in a murder investigation after oh, great. the prank goes too. Oh goes my god! Really? No, it's based on you. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> it's based on you. Can't say that on air, bro. Come on. Just kidding. Just kidding. Yeah, so I've been writing that. Um, and so I want to get that made and, uh, you know, just more, more films and stuff like that. We, uh, really like films. we still have that script that we wrote that we yeah, got to bring to life. Right. That was, we collaborated so on what, that. When was that? That was probably 2014, 14. 2015. Yeah. Um, you still have that somewhere, right? Yeah. That was a pretty good script. We yeah. wrote that me, you, uh, Juan, Cody, and Chris. And it was about all four of us, yes. uh, Pretty much like before we popped off on YouTube, all working right. different jobs, quitting, discovering uh, that you could make money on YouTube. And then right. just like pretty much it's based off a true story. Like I, I would love to make that one day. Yeah. My, my, my biggest goal is uh, once I hit 10 million subscribers on YouTube, I'm stopping everything that I'm doing and I'm going to make my own movie. Heck yeah. Well, if you need me as a screenwriter, yeah. I got or director. you. director. Or director, that's right. <laughs> That's cool, man. And uh, one thing that I really admire about you is you, you've like overcome so much to get where you are today. And one thing that um, I really wanted to ask you about is you're, you're a stage four cancer survivor, right? Yeah. which is incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, not, not many people can say that. Yeah. So I uh, wanted to ask you just like, you know, about that and kind of dive into, you know, everything that you went to went through. Uh, during that that period in your life so like when did you first find out that you, that you had cancer it's crazy because it was about 10 years ago or over 10 it was in uh february it was february 26th of t- 2011 okay. i went to the er were you in high school no i was in college okay uh, i was a sophomore in college were you going uh, to asu or uh no i was going to scottsdale oh, that's Community right college for yeah film yeah school. they have so, one of the top film programs in the united yeah, they're states really good yeah. yeah um and so that was a two-year program so i would have been i don't know i guess a sophomore in you're on college. your second year man it, it, it was all such a blur it's it's nuts because within a year and a half i got stage four testicular cancer went through a whole bunch of chemo and then went in remission, which means like you're cured. And then it came back and then went through a whole bunch of chemo. Jesus, that's got to be so defeating. Before I got in remission the first time, I had a huge surgery. And so, but all that happened in a year and a half. And I finished school in that year and a half. Wow. So it, it was so weird. In November, I remember back in November of 2010, uh, I was getting all these weird 
achy pains. Like it was kind of like if someone was like squeezing my kidneys. It was really strange, and I couldn't really eat all that much. And so I would go to the doctor, and uh, literally that it was crazy. Uh, I went to the doctor once, and they were like, they checked me out, and they were like, uh, they didn't do any like scans or anything, but they were like, uh, maybe you're. Um, I went. The thing is, I went to the doctors a couple of times before I got diagnosed, and they missed it completely. And the second time I went to my doctor, um, she was like, she did do a scan on me, right? And then she came back and she said, your intestines are full of stool, you know, poop. And I was like, <laughs> dude, I haven't eaten in three days. The only thing I eat is like a bowl of oatmeal. And so what she thought was poop was actually cancer in my, in my intestines. So that was pretty nuts. And so, yeah, so from November, what kind of popped off was uh, finally in February, I was just, uh, the pain would come up really suddenly and really intensely, and then it would go away completely. So I, my parents would be like, "Peter, you need to go back to the doctor. You're not, you know, you're not looking so good." And I would be like, "Well, the doctor doesn't. There's, they say there's nothing wrong with me, or they say I'm full of, you know." They say you're full of shit. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so I, I was kind of fighting it. I was like, I don't want to go back to the doctor, even though I would like be in a lot of pain and then not be in pain. And I was actually doing my first short film at the time. So I didn't want to just pretending that. everything was fine. Well, that, it was crazy because I would be in a lot of pain, but then it would be fine. All of a sudden it would stop. Right. And so it was just so weird. And but I was I was so determined to get this film done. And uh, it was crazy. I was I got the film done. And we actually shot it on 16 millimeter film. And so I was going to take it to L.A. to Burbank to get the film uh, digitized and colored. And I was going to go with my brother to go see Nick, who was staying at his grandpa's house, where we ended up, you know, shooting the, shooting the grounds. And so right before I went, I was at work. You know, I just started getting like really intense pain to where my boss was like, dude, you got to go to the hospital. Like, this is crazy. And so I got in my car and then all of a sudden there's no more pain. And so I'm just like, man, like what the heck's going on? And I really want to go to California. So I'm like, all right, I'm just going to drive to California. I think I'm good. And then my brother, Tim calls me and uh, we're just having a conversation. And then he can tell in my voice that something was wrong. He's like, dude, what's wrong with you? And I was like, oh, I've been having these pains. I don't know. It's okay. But I'm going to drive to California anyway. I'm going to come pick you up. And then so I'm sitting in my car, like, really, like, thinking to myself, being like, I should probably go to the ER right now. But then half of me is like, nah, you're good. Like, you should just go to California. And so then my dad calls me and is like, hey, Tim called me and said that you're not feeling that good. And then I'm like, I feel fine. It's all good. But then he's like, no, you really should go. So I ended up going to the ER, had to wait a long time and all of that. And so they ended up doing a CAT scan on me, right? And then so the doctor comes back with the CAT scan results, and his face was like white as a ghost. It was crazy. Like he just comes in and he's like staring at me. So I'm looking at him and he's like, Peter, I, I don't really understand because I got your CAT scan back and you have masses all over your body. And he's like, I don't know if it's cancer, but 
um, or it might be this like one crazy thing where like people in Africa get where they get masses all over their butt or like inside their body that look like tumors, but they're all benign. And but he he thought it was so strange because he was I had all these tumors all over it was me. all over your entire body. Yeah, it was in it was in my lungs, my uh, pancreas, like intestines all over. But he's like looking at me. And he's and he's trying to check my eyes because they're all over my liver too. He's trying to see if my eyes are yellow. That means like your liver is like doing badly. And so he's saying he's like Peter, this doesn't make sense because what I'm seeing is your if this is cancer, then you should be on your deathbed right now. But you're here laughing and goofing off with your dad, you know, like and I'm and I'm like and your dad's sitting next to you. Yeah, my dad was there. She's- but I was like sitting up and and feeling fine, so that's why the doctor. Did your heart was just like, drop when he said that? Like, no, not at all. I, can't I, thought, even... I was like, nah, dude, this isn't cancer. What are you talking about? And so he was like, I'm honestly gonna retest you because this is this is crazy. You like, you have all this stuff in your body, but you seem like you feel fine, you know. So then he retests me, does another CAT scan, then he comes back and then he's like, no, okay, so this is real. Like, we don't know. Like, what you have, it's probably cancer. We don't really know. And then and then he was like, it might be testicular cancer. And so he checked. So he does a ball check on me. and But those were fine. And uh, that was the weird thing, too, is they were saying, like, hopefully this is testicular cancer because testicular cancer you can actually come back from because it's, it's a really aggressive cancer that grows, but the chemotherapy that we have now can uh, put it back in remission. And, uh, but like I said, he did the whole ball check and everything and everything was fine. Cause usually when someone has testicular cancer, one of their nuts is huge, you know, right. You, you don't get testicular cancer. You don't get them in, uh, both of your nuts. You get them in one. Mm. And usually your ball swells up and that's the first sign, but that never happened to me. So I was like, I don't think I have testicular cancer, but then again, I was like so in denial. I was like, I don't have anything. These guys right. are idiots. <laughs> <laughs> so then they were like, okay, we got to take you to the to our sister hospital to you know do some more hardcore tests on you. And then I'm like, well, can I go to? Can I drive there? And because I, I want to go to McDonald's on the way because I'm starving. <laughs> and they're like, no, Peter, you don't understand. We're going. We're taking the ambulance, you know, cause they gotta, they're like, we gotta hook you up to like life saving stuff just in case you all of a sudden just die, I guess, you know? It's unbelievable. Yeah. So. And then, little do they know you've been walking around with this pain or yeah, whatever for, for, for months November. at this point. So probably a few months. Yeah. So what the, by them saying that they're saying that you could have just pretty much dropped dead at any moment. Yeah. They were like, yeah, they they it was a it was enough of an issue where they were like, we got to hook you up to that a lot crazy. of stuff on the you know in the ambulance as well because they were like, we can't have you pass out, you know, because the doctor was so, he's like, I don't. He was understand. freaked out. Yeah, he was freaked out, and like like I said, like his you know that that saying like, oh, when someone sees a ghost, you know, their face gets all like. It was like he saw a ghost because he came in and his face was like no color in it at all. And he was like looking at me like, what the heck is going on?
So then we go to the other hospital and then they take a liver biopsy on me where they take a needle like this big and like stick it in and whew, stick it in where? In my side to get a little piece of okay. the tumor out. So I'm sitting there for like a day. Is that painful? Yeah, well, they they, they, they put the some some pain meds on me, so I'm all goofy. And I remember they showed me the needle, and I'm like, "Whoa, you're gonna put that in me?" And I'm just like, "Whoa!" So the needle goes in and like yeah. extracts. Yeah, kind of like extracts a little piece of the cancer. Okay, got it. So they can see like, is this testicular cancer? Is this? So then they can basically take a piece and put it under a microscope. Exactly. And so I'm waiting around for a day in the hospital. So they don't let you leave. No, exactly. And so wow. I'm still like... And you're in, sitting there in your yeah. bed like, what the hell is going yeah, on? I'm still in denial. I still think that the doctor's going to come in and be like, all right, Peter, you're fine. Sorry, we're all good. You can go to California now. You know what right, I mean? Right, you're still thinking about California at this yeah, point. Yeah, exactly. Because I, I had an appointment in Burbank at a, at a really prestigious like film place. So I'm like, dude, I'm going to miss my appointment. This sucks. The next day is when stuff got crazy because I got... I remember waking up 7 a.m. It's a Saturday and I'm finally I'm super hungry and which I'm excited for because I haven't eaten in like three days. Uh -huh. you know? and this is before the doctor came in with the results. Yeah, exactly. Before. And so then I ordered myself a nice I was at a really nice hospital out in East Mesa. Uh, I forget what it's called. Ironwood or something where they do really good food there. Okay. It was awesome. And so I get like, uh, you know, eggs and bacon. I get an awesome breakfast, and I'm about to eat it, and I'm so excited. But then all of a sudden, like, <clears throat> I start coughing. So I start coughing. Then I look in my hand, and then I see this weird looking – it was a piece of a cancer tumor, basically. It coughed up. Yeah. It's really Do you think weird. it had anything to do with them sticking the needle in you and like messing stuff up or? Uh, no, it was, I had, I had uh, cancer tumors all in my lungs oh. and there were so many in there. I literally coughed part oh of one God. out and I know that's what? gross, so I'm sorry. Like, no, it's fine. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's real. Like, yeah. what so, did that look like? So I, what did it look like? I don't even know what it looked. It kind of looked like, have you ever seen like a piece of like an animal's like intestine or something yeah. it kind of looked like it kind of had the texture like that so but it, it was looked, all bloody just like slimy slimy yeah it was really weird to the point where i knew it wasn't like oh i just had a you know like something blood in ate. my throat yeah. and then all of a sudden my adrenaline like kicked in like that's when like you're that. like oh shit yeah it might actually be cancer right well i'm not even thinking like that but yeah i i, I did think that later but i was just like my body was like you got to call someone right now because something's about to happen. And then all of a sudden, like, I feel my lungs just swell up. And then I just, like, like puke all this blood everywhere. And, yeah, this is graphic. Oh, no, like, so, I want to know. Tell me. Yeah. And so my so what happened is, you know, the, the tumor bursts, so it's bleeding in my lungs. And so it's really weird. When you're – when your lungs is full of liquid, they automatically just expel it all out. So I had like five seconds, five to, I'd say five to seven, seven seconds in between, like all of a sudden I would just puke out a, vomit. Yeah, a bunch of, uh, and it was blood. It's just blood from my, uh, from my lungs. So, you know, I throw my plate, you know, to the side <laughs> and then I grab a bucket that was there and then I grab a bunch of Kleenexes and so I'm like throwing up blood in this bucket and then putting a bunch of Kleenexes on it because I don't want to see it because it's like really grossing me out. 
and uh, the smell of blood smells like iron. Have you ever mm-hmm. smelled blood? Uh, yep. It, like makes me I get bloody nauseous. noses all yeah, the time. Like, makes me it, nauseous. It tastes like pennies. Exactly. And so it's coming like all in my, it's all up in my grill. So it's like really like, it's gross. And so, so I'm putting Kleenexes on it because I'm like, I don't want to see all this blood. This is nasty. And so I press the nurse's button and, uh, and then I forget what I said. I think I said I'm coughing up blood. And so she thought that I was coughing up a little blood, you know, whatever. And then so she walks in all like casually and then she sees me just like, blah. And then she's just like, oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, so she, she calls. Expecting. There's like some code that they like press to where like the, the things beeping. And all these people are coming. And then the worst part is, this is exactly when my mom and dad walk in. Oh, man. You know, because they were coming to visit. And so they walk in as soon as, like, all these people are grabbing me, putting me on a bed, and I, I still have my bucket, and I'm just, like, you know, puking out this blood. And so I'm telling my mom, I'm like, Mom, don't watch. You know, like, don't look at this. And so they're wheeling me away, and so I say goodbye to my mom and stuff. And then I start to get lightheaded. And so I'm kind of thinking, I, like, lit, I did think to myself, I'm like, I think I'm going to die, you know? Yeah. And so, but I was kind of at peace with it in a weird way. And it was mostly because I saw my mom and dad. Really? <laughs> yeah. And That's so, super interesting. But my adrenaline was pumping. Yeah. And it, it's really weird because your adrenaline's pumping so fast, but it gives you like a calm feeling mm-hmm. of like, I got to do this. I got to call the nurse. I got to grab the Kleenex. I got to tell my mom to stop looking, you know, to where you're just like, right. boom, 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 boom. Yeah, and then they wheeled me to the uh, OR, and the last thing I remember is they put me on the OR table, and I remember these doctors are kind of arguing with each other of, like, what, what they're going to do. That's stressful. And, they, and so I'm telling them, I'm like, you got to do something right now. As I'm like... You're saying this to the yeah, doctors? Right. It, I mean, they were probably just talking to each other, but I remember, like, two of them were like, we should do that. No, we should do that. Dude, you got to do this right now, whatever yeah, we're going to do, because was I was like getting really lightheaded because I puked out a lot of blood at that point. Like the bucket was like, ugh, it was gross. I still get nauseous at, when there's like a lot of blood and I can taste it or like, like I'm not queasy with blood, but the, the taste of blood is when I like, it goes back to that memory and I'm like, yeah. so then I got, um, put out for seven days basically on a on a you know they went in they stopped all the bleeding then they put me on a ventilator for seven days so for that seven days are you like conscious yeah i'm conscious um i am conscious i remember when i woke up i thought i was in my bed in my room and but then I could kind of see my mom and i could kind of know that my mom and dad were in there you're just heavily sedated yeah and I remember feeling around for my cigarettes because I wanted to like smoke a cigarette. And then, then I'm like feeling around and I see that I'm naked, but I have like a, you know, a robe on. And then I think that I'm laying in bed and I have to go to work. So I have, I'm, I'm trying to ask my mom, like, why are these people in my room? But I have a ventilator on. When I went into the hospital, the ER, the first time I was 145, I, I lost, you know, I think I got down at like 105. Jeez. you know 40 pounds in a week yeah pro- well wow. no, no, no maybe not but i remember when i when i was going through chemo i was like 105 yeah. you know so 
but I probably lost, yeah, a good 20 pounds so in a week. So when the doctors put you under, what did they end up doing? You know, I'm not sure. All they did was they definitely stopped the bleeding. So did they did they cut you open and, like, stitch up where the tumor had burst? Or? Oh, I have no idea because I don't, I don't have a scar. I think they I think they put a tube down my They could throat. probably do it with, uh, like, uh, yeah, a they camera. Didn't, they didn't do it any invasive surgery. Okay. Yeah, so I was, I was communicating on the whiteboard. And, uh, and so, and then tying the whiteboard back to actually what's really crazy is my, one of my best friends died of cancer, not even a year before I got, uh, diagnosed with cancer. And so I remember when my friend Ethan was, he was on a ventilator too. And the way he did was he would write on a whiteboard. So when I woke up, I remembered that and I was like, Hey, you should get me a whiteboard so I can actually write. So so yeah, I would be riding on a whiteboard telling people and I, I think I was in there for like a week and finally got the strength to go back home. And at what point did they tell you like the results? Oh of- yeah, the results came back, yeah, that week and they said it's testicular cancer, stage four. And did they tell your parents obviously then, yeah. like while you were under for that week? Yeah, they probably did. The actual like time it hit me that I had cancer, this is pretty crazy was after my first rounds of chemo and I literally I was reading so I was reading a book and then I was feeling my hair and then my hair started coming out and then I then I looked down at my hair hair in my hand and I was like oh this is real you do have this you know how long did you start chemo after that whole incident well when I was on the ventilator this is kind of crazy my the doctor at the hospital I was at this was in February. She said, we'll start you in chemo in like June. Four months. Yeah. And so then we went home and I'm laying on my bed just like just out of it. And so my mom calls another oncologist to get another opinion because she's like four months like he's going to die, you know. And so she calls uh, her friend who recommends an oncologist and then she calls my oncologist now, Dr. Palawi, who's an amazing doctor. And uh, he got my records and then called my mom back like f- an hour later and was like, he needs to go to the hospital right now. He needs to be on chemo. Like he should have been on chemo like two weeks ago, you know. And so thank God that my mom got a second opinion or else it would have been really bad. And Did they give you a timeline on how long you had to live? Uh, no, they never did that because uh, testicular cancer can be cured with chemo. So I think they would have said that. They wanted to know if the chemo worked. If the, yeah. ke- if the chemo didn't work after that, then it was like, okay, you know, this is really bad. Even though it's stage four, which stage four means that it meta- it spread all over my lungs, my liver, intestines, like, all over the lymph nodes in my back. And uh, that was the crazy thing is is getting this type of cancer. I remember the doctor was like, you know, you got a good kind of cancer because it's curable. You know, it's very aggressive and you have stage four, but you can be cured, you know, through chemotherapy with this. And so that's why he said the term like good kind of cancer, which kind of seems... You know, those right. two words together is really weird. Right. And so so I went 
and did chemo. You know, thank God Dr. Palawi, you know, took the call and was like, okay, we need to get him in right now. The first day I went in for chemo was actually my 19th birthday, March 8th, and two, wow. whenever that was. I'm 30 now. And, um, and so I, the, the rounds of chemo I did is I had to be in the hospital hospital under 24 hours super uh, supervision because uh, because the type of chemo I had was just really strong and they needed to keep an eye on me. And what do they do during chemo? Yeah, so they. I always hear the term. I don't know. Yeah, it's literally just the bag of. It, it looks like water. Uh huh. Some of them kind of look like Gatorade. They might just be a bag blue. of fluids. Just a bag of fluids. Yeah, I remember the first time they gave it to me. I was like tensing up. I'm like, what's gonna happen? You know. And then then they started the chemo, and it just felt like an IV really? drip. You know. And oh, so I didn't know that. Yeah. And so they didn't put you under a giant like uh, like thing. Like I always imagine chemo being like uh, like when you get a CAT scan and they just yeah. turn on a machine. It's, yeah. Um, they do, they, they do do radiation. Oh, that's radiation. Okay. Gotcha. Thank God I didn't need to do that. Um, they did do an MRI on my brain and they were going to say, if you have it in your brain, one, that's really bad. Um, especially for, for testicular cancer. And, uh, then I would have to do radiation to shrink the tumors in my brain because the chemo is liquid and it can't cross the, uh, blood brain barrier got it so now that was like the one time i was really scared of because i thought i was like oh crap i think i got tumors in my brain because the months leading up before i would get these really weird t tunnel vision headaches where all my peripheral vision would just go black and like it was so weird mm. and so i thought and yeah, I would see all these like swirly little things. And so I thought, I'm like, oh, crap, I think I got tumors in my brain. Maybe that's what it is. But then I did the MRI and thank God I didn't have anything in my brain. So all I did was liquid chemo. Like I said, I would have to go to the hospital. It's uh, It wasn't like the movies where you see people like go to a place, sit in a recliner, and then, like, get to leave. Now, they do have those places, and uh, and I have done chemo bags like that before, but a lot of the times, ke uh, cancer patients have to be in the hospital. And you got to be in the hospital. I would have to be in the hospital for a week, seven days, and then every 24 hours do, you know, a certain cycle of chemo. And um, my doctor, Dr. Palawi, actually talked to the doctor who cured Lance Armstrong. Wow. Yeah, his name's Dr. Einhorn, and it's, it's pretty awesome. Uh, before Lance Armstrong, there wasn't really the chemo that we had today. And when Lance Armstrong got testicular cancer, uh, this certain doctor, Dr. Einhorn, really put his, you know, his head, to, his brain together and was like, what can cure this disease? Because before it was just, oh, you're done. Have you ever seen the film Brian's Song? Mm -mm. Okay, that's a that's a really old school reference. I don't think anyone would know, but it's about two football players in, in the 70s and one gets testicular cancer and ends up dying. It, it's a classic sports movie. But uh, yeah, Dr. Einhorn, before that, it was a death sentence. And then with since Lance Armstrong was such a you know celebrity and such a great athlete, he put his head together and came up with the, the recipes and the cocktails of these certain chemos.
Mm. So my doctor got to talk directly to him and be like, what does he need? No, he needs cisplatin, blah, 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 all these certain things. That's crazy. So, so it took Lance Armstrong getting it for I know, people to is, really... Yeah. He oh, that's kinda, unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of people don't really know that. God works mysterious ways. Yeah. He's like, you know, if that's what I have to do to make a difference, you know, yeah. that's crazy. Yeah. And so I did all my... F- First four rounds of chemo. So you do four rounds. So you have a week in the hospital for each week round. In the hospital, and then how much time off? Two weeks off. Okay. Because after the chemo, oh, the worst part about chemo for me was getting off the chemo. It was when they, when they send you home and those next 48 hours, you're not sleeping and your body is just, ugh. you can't eat because the taste, you literally taste chemicals. Oh, like, so you're just sitting there just awake. Yeah, if you want to know what chemo feels like, and I, I mean, don't do this, but drink a glass of Windex and then keep it down in your stomach long enough to where your stomach absorbs it. I mean, obviously you would just throw it up, but if, if your stomach absorbed it and you could kind of feel it in your gut, that's kind of what really chemo feels like. Wow. like your tongue even tastes like chemicals. It's just like... But, uh, you know, they give you medicine in there that does help. And uh, they'll give you stuff to sleep. And I slept all day, basically, because at night, the hospital is... That's when there's so much noise in the hospital at night. Machines are beeping, and, you know, someone go, You know, there'll be a code, and there's a couple, like, stolen baby codes. That was kind of crazy. And, uh, yeah, the hospital is really weird at night, for sure. And I was like kind of stuck there because I had to be on I I had to be on an IV twenty four seven so I couldn't leave couldn't leave my little room. So you couldn't leave in between the chemo. Oh uh, yeah, sorry. When I was in the hospital at chemo, the chemo, got it. I would just stay in the room and then I would go home for two weeks, and then come back. So I did that four times, and the first round of chemo actually eliminated ninety five percent of all my cancer. Oh wow, which so, is so you crazy. Got- when did you get that news? How soon after? Um, when I was in the middle of my second round, my doctor came in, Dr. Palawi, and was like, dude, Peter, this is crazy. Like, 95% of your tumor markers went down. And uh, tumor markers is some way they measure it um, with testicular cancer. I, I don't know what it is, but in guys, you're supposed to have less than one. And I had 100,000 of whatever it was. And uh, actually, the way they test for testicular cancer is they test to see if you're pregnant. Mm. So for some reason, if you get testicular cancer, your body starts to produce um, these things called like alpha fetal something. I'm not sure, but they're like there are these cells that get produced in women when they're pregnant. Really? Yeah. So because, you know, guys, we all have estrogen and stuff like that. We all have a little bit of women's hormones too but you're not supposed to have a lot so with testicular cancer for some reason your body starts not estrogen but this one stuff that will say you're pregnant so if i peed on a pregnant test it would say you're pregnant you know so that that was a weird that's kind of a cool or not cool but kind interesting of a weird thing. fun fact yeah fun fact about testicular cancer yeah so 95 percent of all my uh, cancer was gone in one thing, which that's amazing. Which was it, that's never happened before. I think I'm in a medical journal of like this patient reacted this way. Wow. Now getting that last five percent out, oof, 
took forever. Did it really? Yeah, because so you went through the, the the final four stages. Yeah, and, and, and you weren't fully cured after that. Well, yeah, after my first chemo, then they looked. They did a CAT scan on me again, and they said there's this one tumor in your back, on your lymph nodes, which I don't know what lymph nodes are, but they're they're kind of by your spinal cord in the back, and they're like, yeah, that tumor didn't really shrink, so we're going to give you a surgery to get it out because if you don't get a surgery, then it might grow, you know? So thank God the best surgeon in the world for this type of surgery was at, was at U of A. So I just had to drive down to Tucson, get the surgery, even though the surgery was, it was bad. It was, I have a huge scar. Should I show the, uh, yeah. so they had to like get the tumor out from my back. Right. So they didn't go through the back you know, because my spinal cord's there. So they went through the front to kind of dig in and get the, oh. get the tumor out. So I'll show you the, uh, Grayson, if you want to. <laughs> so the scar, I don't know if you can see it, but it's a little white. It starts here and it goes up. Yeah, that's a big scar. And all the way. Yeah, that's, that's a huge scar, super wide too, so you know they had to really dig in there and spread you open. So when I woke up from this and I had a bunch of staples on, like it finally connected to my brain. I'm like, whoa, they actually cut me open. Like, it, it you was didn't know it was going to be this big of a surgery. Not at all. Do you know how not long it was, like how long of a surgery? I think it's like a five, hour, five okay. hours or something. It's, a, it's an intense surgery. That's why they said go with the best guy. And, and he was at U of A, which was good. And uh, they got the tumor out, which was awesome. And so, but the uh, the recovery, I had to stay a week in that hospital. And that, oh, that was so bad. It was, I was like hallucinating every night for some reason, just because I was so, I guess not doped up, but just my body was just so weird. Like, I don't know, out I of whack, yeah, completely just, out of whack. I was having nightmares every night. What were you hallucinating of? When I, it's it's like oratory stuff. Like, cause it's happened to me before whenever I'm like in a hospital and I'm like doped up on something, my brain can kind of like do weird things to where I start hearing things, nothing crazy. Cause I know I'm not like going crazy, but yeah, my brain was just kind of going nuts. Just and then, playing, your mind was playing tricks on yeah, you. Yeah. And they had me on fentanyl and they actually had me on the button. So I would like press that and, uh, I couldn't leave without taking a poop. <laughs> so they so they knew that my, you're so uh, constipated from the drugs yeah that's how i was after my elbow surgery i yeah. didn't couldn't leave well they let me leave okay. but i i didn't poop for over a week yeah and Dude. when i did it felt like childbirth or what i imagine yeah. childbirth feels yeah. like yeah i had a poop because i wanted to get out of there and they're like no you have to poop and i've been on fentanyl for like five days and then they took me off of it and then so yeah it is like childbirth except i had staples in the you know oh that's so gonna make it even worse i was just like oh, i'm so out of here like oh my god it was bad but um and they and for some reason they had a roommate i had a roommate that wasn't even in surgery it was some guy who i mean i don't mean mean to bash on him but he was like he was in there for like nothing. He was in there for, I don't even know what, but 
here I am like in the, with this huge surgery and here's this other guy who's talking to his girlfriend all night on the phone, like yelling at her. And I'm just like, why oh are we God. together? Why? Like, yeah, who is sucks. this guy? Why is he here? But I mean, whatever. I mean, thank God I got the surgery and, um, and then I was in remission, you know, that the surgery was July 8th. And so, you know, I was good to go. But my doctor was like, you need to come in every three months, I think, and get a CAT scan and blood drawn. And so then I went and finished school. You and know, at this point, you're cancer free. Like, yeah, exactly. You're good. I'm, I mean, I still like my hair's growing back and stuff. You know, what was I'm that like for you? Really, like, did you uh, feel like you escaped death or did you feel like, you know, it was just, yeah, like, that's got to be hard. I can't imagine like if, if it was me, like my yeah. thought process coming out of that, what, what it would be like. Yeah. Mentally it was crazy. Cause I never thought that I was going to die except for that one time when I was puking mm -hmm. out the blood. But like I said, that was kind of a blissful moment. I kind of accepted it, <laughs> but maybe that was because I was lightheaded but I never thought I was going to die. I always thought I was going to beat it. So I wasn't really stressed about it. The only thing was I didn't like stressing other people out because, you know, it takes a toll on, you know, you and then it takes a toll on everyone else, you know, because it's serious. Because yeah. there was, you know, a time when I was, you know, when, when I was picking up the blood and then they, then they, they put me out. I forgot to tell you, but yeah, there was a time when the doctor was like, hey, you need to call a priest and get last, last rites instead in case he doesn't wake up, you know. You know, they thought I would wake up, but they were like, you know, we don't know if you're going to wake up or not. And so my family had to go through that, you know, like saying goodbye and stuff. And so, uh, you, know, my, you know, it was a lot of my mom, you know, just like any mom and my dad. So it was kind of tough seeing them like that, but... You know, we got to bond a lot because they would come in in the room and, you know, so that was fine. And uh, but, you know, like I said, one of my good friends died of cancer actually a year before. And so he was a good example because when he got cancer and they said that he was going to die, he took it in stride. I never saw him cry. I never saw him. You know, he really took it like, OK. I have this much to live. I'm going to make the best of it. And so that was a great example for me to be like, okay, Ethan dealt with this, you know, really well. I'm going to deal with this really well. And so like, it was awesome, you know, and since, since he just passed and I, you know, we're still in the grieving period. I kind of felt close to him, mm -hmm. you know, during that time and stuff. I even had like a dream, a really vivid dream that he was in, in there. So that was really cool. And I got to, to talk to him like that. And so, you know, I was so young when it happened. And when you're young, you're invincible. You know, right. I, I feel like the older you get, like if I would have gotten it again or like maybe get cancer again now, you know, it would be more like, oh, man, am I going to die? Or like, yeah, you'd you would be really more think stressed, about it. you know. But when you're 18 you're, or 19, you're like, I got this. You know, right. doctors are telling me I have cancer. They don't know anything. <laughs> 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 They're stupid. <laughs> so yeah, it's crazy. It, and I'm 30 now. It started when I was, you know, um, just about to turn 19. So that's a so. So how long, long were you cancer-free before it came back? Maybe six months, and then it came back. That okay. So that's when it started to get hard because it was like, man, I thought, 
I was done, but in the back of my mind, I I knew I was going to get it again for some reason because the the doctor said if if you're going to if it comes back, it usually comes back within a year. You know. So they were saying hopefully you get a year with it not coming back and then it probably won't come back, but if it comes back then, you know, it's going to be a year. And it came back in in 6 months. Oh yeah, though actually the way I found out was I spit up a little bit of blood, I think, and then went to the ER because I was like, okay, I've done this before. Uh, I should go to the ER, you know, just 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 in case. So I go to the ER and they do a CAT scan on me and it's like, okay, that's good and everything. They do a blood test on me and then my oncologist calls me or comes to, to the hospital and he's like, hey, I got you know, some bad news, you know, the, your blood work came back and you got, you know, you got cancer again. So we got to like start from phase one all over again, even though it wasn't as much as I had, it was pretty much not, not a lot of cancer, but it came back. I was mostly mad. Cause I'm like, can we do one chemo session? He's like, no, we got to do four rounds of chemo. Jeez. And I was just like, dude, that's, ah, uh, that stinks, you know? And so I was mad about that. And, and, but then of course it was heartbreaking having to tell my mom, Yeah, you know, cause she thought I was fine. She was like, Oh, you're in the hospital. But then she was like, why, why are they admitting you? And then I was like, well, because of this. And then, you know, it was tough to break it to her like that. How did she take it? Yeah. She started crying and stuff. And then, you know, you know, she's my mom. So of course, (laughs) Uh, I imagine every mom would react that way. Yeah. So it was just a huge disappointment, especially because my mom thought I was really clear. Me and my dad both, we were talking once and we both like admitted like, yeah, we thought it was going to come back. You yeah. know, we just both thought it was. You had that feeling. Yeah. So then I had to do four rounds of chemo and I had to do a different set of chemos, which. Is were, it because your body had already. Yeah. Uh, it, it knew almost what was coming. You had to yeah. treat your body. So they had to treat another set of chemos, and these chemos were even more uh, nauseous. Yeah, it was bad. Um, so, but then I didn't have to do any surgery after that. So that's nice. Yeah, I was. Uh, let's see. I think it was in. I think I was done in like March, around the same time that I went in for chemo. I'm pretty sure it was so long ago. Uh, but. Uh, yeah, then I was finally done. and uh, So it was about a year process. Yeah, uh, probably longer. I think it was like a year, year and a half, maybe a year and three quarters uh, process of all that. Like I said, it's crazy. All of that packed into getting cancer, getting surgery, doing chemo, getting cancer again, doing chemo, and finishing a semester or a semester school with summer school. Yeah, it's crazy thing. I haven't thought about this in a long time, so yeah. it's actually kind of therapeutic to talk about yeah, it. Thanks for sharing, man. Like, yeah, I think a lot of people could really hear that, uh, you know, whether it's cancer or right. any disease or anything going on in their life, just like, you know, you're the living proof that there's light at the end of the tunnel that you can get through it. Yeah, that's um, true. What, what, what is something for someone that, is, you know, has been diagnosed with cancer or any disease of that sort like what is uh, a piece of advice that you would give them uh just take it day by day 
that was that was my motto. That was my mom my mom's motto too. Because you'll have good days and you'll have bad days. So you really just gotta take it day by day, and every morning be grateful for, you know, at least something. You know, your mom, your dad. You know, just try to stay positive. You know, it sounds cliche and all that, but you really do have to try to stay on the positive side, because if you just sulk, it, it makes it so much worse once you start sulking and you know you have the right to sulk of course but Mm -hmm. you know and there will be times where you will you know feel really sad and stuff like that and that's normal that's completely normal but uh just try to be grateful and you know take it day by day right on and uh, and don't be afraid to get a second opinion from other doctors because it's never a bad idea because you know you think of a doctor and you think they know, you know, everything, which they, you know, they know a lot because they're doctors, but they're also humans. They can make errors. So if listen to your body, if it doesn't feel something doesn't feel right, you know, kind of challenge them or say, you know, get another opinion. So because that saved my life, at least I think at least twice. Crazy. Yeah. Well, thanks for being here today, Pete. Where can the people find you? On Instagram, Pizza Pete. 69 i think i've made that one for <laughs> pizza pete 69 <laughs> and then uh google the grounds the movie yeah watch uh, it uh, honestly great movie i highly recommend watching it yeah you can find it on youtube um apple tv google play fandago amazon prime amazon that's the big prime. one that yeah. if, if i'm watching anywhere that's that's yeah. one that i'm always on is a uh, amazon prime yeah, exactly and then we got Super easy. we got a website um thegroundsthefilm.com, I believe. And, uh, yeah. Pete. Dude, thanks so much, man. Yeah, thank you for coming on, man. Until next time, it's been another episode of the Man Cave Podcast. Make sure you guys stream on all platforms, uh, Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube. We'll see you in the next episode. Peace, guys. (laughs) 